So I'll start by questions from this morning, and then you can go all the way back through James 3, and then we can go anywhere you want, depending. Well, we haven't had uh, at the ABF since, because the last, this is the first in three weeks, I believe. Did I miss any blanks this morning? Any blanks? Got them all? All right. Any questions on Alamid Strophe? What you got for me, Dave? No? Not yet. What, what did you say? Something? Which I said, uh, clearly you got something for me. So I was oh, I was asking about this L-A-M-E-D-H. Lamed. Yeah, it, and Lamed. I, I missed the whole thing. I don't know what it is. To me, it's... It's a Hebrew letter. That's the translate. That's the phonetic... Phonetic... That is the English word for the Hebrew letter Lamed. So the structure of Psalm 119 is that every eight verses begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So Aleph, first eight verses all begin with Aleph. Okay. Then the next eight verses all begin with Bait, then Gimel. Lamed is a Hebrew letter. The English word for that Hebrew letter is that, Lamed. And all eight verses in this strophe, and I call it strophe, that's the term for Hebrew poetry, the equivalent would be like a verse in English, but because our Bible has verses, it's confusing, so I use strophe. Um, so this strophe is the Lamed strophe. Most of our English Bibles have that written in it, even though the word Lamed doesn't occur in the Hebrew. Okay, well, since we're kind of on that subject, I was going to save this a little later, but oh. you mentioned the word word many times this morning. Okay. And I asked Joel Andrews after, I said, Shouldn't most of those words be capitalized W because they're referring to the second person of the Trinity? And he, you know, doesn't like to get me going too much. He said, ask Jeremy. And to me, it's very irritating because the big four translations, they don't agree. Some of them capitalize the word word throughout. Some of them don't. You know, like the man that read Psalms was clearly the word was talking about the written or spoken word of God. It wasn't referring to this person. Right, right. It seems like this morning, a lot of them were referring to the second person of the Trinity or Jesus Christ. Ah, which ones do you think most clearly do that? Forever, uh, Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens? Yeah, that, this one obviously should be second person. I don't, I don't to think me. it is. I mean, it's true of the second person of the Trinity, but I think, where he's, I think the idea is God from heaven speaks and his word is fixed because he goes to creation and we know God created through um, we know God created through speech and you could even argue the member of the Trinity I mean here's the cool thing the, which member of the Trinity was the one on hands doing the creating it was Jesus right all things were created well through the him. word they, that there's a reason it says the word in the beginning of the word instead of in the beginning was son or Jesus right, right, because right. he didn't come along till later the Right. In Cornelli Park. Right, right. But that, you bring up a good point. It's, it's not easy sometimes yeah. to figure it out. But I think the psalmist just has in mind the idea that God isn't... So the contrast, I think why he says heaven is, heaven is docile, serene, at peace, no evil people plotting. It, 
it's it's a sure realm and in this sure realm is a sure word coming from a throne of a sure god who then has made everything with that word upholds everything with his word such that all things exist as his servants i don't think the psalmist has in view the second person of the trinity we can look back and plug him in because we know he is in heaven and we know he is the agent of creation but i think from the psalmist vantage point you're adding things in that are true. I don't think they're in the mind of the psalmist when he wrote this. Does that, make, does that distinction make sense? I think some of those things are still shaded and, and, and veiled at this point in redemption history. Now, we reading it looking back certainly can say, okay, it's, isn't it interesting? The word's forever in heaven, and the, the second member of the Trinity, the word is forever. Yes. So we can add that in as a cool addition. I don't think the psalmist was intending that when he wrote it. That's all I'm saying. You with me? Yeah, it makes sense, except I think it's the other way around. But they both, to me, they both. Okay. Okay. No, the, there are inconsistencies. I grew up with the, uh, I grew up with the, uh, you capitalize any pronoun for God and any pronoun for his word. And I've, and I've, that's dropping out more and more. Um, no, it is. And uh, even as Daniel and Dave Lample edit my pastor's pens, I see it drop out. Um, so uh, that's, that's what I was brought up on. But I, I still like double space after a period, and that's, they, they correct me on that. But I am going to die on the hill of the Oxford comma. We need the Oxford comma. Oxford comma is, there's no question, Oxford comma. Yes. But you avoided the question. Reverential capitalization. I'm in favor of it. And being a dyslexic, it's very confusing. Because mm. you, you see these capital letters in the middle of the sentence. Yeah. So that's another thing. You can go either way. I, I don't think we're in danger of being too reverential. I mean, here's, here's something interesting. In Jewish communities today, in Jewish communities today, um, the, if you use a pen to write God's name, you then are supposed to never use the pen for anything else. So like in Jewish schools, there would be a box of pens of the name that wrote the name because the concept being, once the pen has had the honor of writing the Lord's name, how could you use it to any common menial purpose? Um, no, it's, it's, I mean, now that is probably maybe going a bit too far. I don't think we're in any danger of that. Exactly, I don't think we're in any danger of too much reverential, right. Right. but we are in danger of being almost phony about it. I mean, capital H, why don't we just circle it also? Okay. Or put exclamation points and stars around it. It breaks the rules of grammar, for one thing, to have those capital letters in the... Okay. You got me started. <laughs> okay. Okay. Any questions about grammar, the Oxford comma, or capitalized pronouns? They type G dash D. I actually have some Jewish friends I'm in correspondence. They won't type God. Um, they'll type G dash D. Okay. Out of reference. So they'll find a way. I mean, Orthodox Jews are very intent on. Um, so, like, even in Orthodox Jewish communities, I, we learned the song, you know, Hallelujah, 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 Praise to the name, Hodu Lashem. They don't say God's name. Praise to the name, Hodu Lashem. They don't. They take the, uh, so the idea of using God's name in vain isn't fundamentally don't use it as a curse word. Vain, vanity, 
So the Hebrew concept of vanity is lightness, which is why um, a grasping at the wind, it's light, right? And glory is heaviness or weight. Um, so like uh, God's heavy. He, and so treating God with fear and reverence is treating him as weighty. So using God's name in vain is using God's name lightly, without due reverence, without... And that is the, the what, third commandment? Third commandment, second... Second or third commandment? I should know this, but my brain's... Exodus 20, tell me. Is that the second or third commandment? It's third, right? Okay. Um, so the idea is not to use God's name lightly. So from the Jewish, this is where legalism can come in. Well, how do we know if it's not lightly? Well, better just not use it. <laughs> and so for the most part, they don't use it. Now, where they can't not use it is when they're copying Scripture. And that's where, okay, this pen was just used to write the divine name. It can never be used for anything else again. Um, so, yeah, that, that might be taken a bit too far. I don't think we're in any danger of that, though. Um, now, certainly using God's name as a curse word is using it lightly. But it's not just talking about cursing. It could just be, like you said, saying it and not even meaning it. God bless you. If you just say that without thinking, that could be using it lightly. But, okay. Okay, we got off on grammar, and... Okay, but seriously, you guys all need to be for the Oxford comma. Someone asked you... You guys know what the Oxford comma is? You get a list. It's a, you get a list. Does the penultimate item get a comma or not? That's the Oxford comma. Or, because people who don't use the Oxford comma, it's the word and, because you usually put the word and. I want you to go to the store and get bread, eggs, and cheese. And so for the non-Oxford comma people, the and means you don't need to put the comma. And I would say comma and cheese. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Grammar class. When in doubt, leave it out. Okay. The comma. Okay. Um, gotcha. Okay, questions from Psalm 119. In this chunk this morning. Get quiet ABF. Okay. What you got for me, Mark? Uh, I was just uh, enjoyed the uh, comment you made about God's sovereignty. And, uh, you know, when you went through Job and, uh, you know, you and I have talked about the sovereignty of God before. And, uh, you know, you told me he wants an image of a dust particle on a you know, in your house as the sun's shining in and you see those particles in the, in the sunlight, uh, the Lord is in charge. Those particles just aren't randomly uh, running around on their own. I may have said it, but that's a Spurgeon quote I said. It's, well. No, Charles Spurgeon. I believe the movement of every mote of dust in a sunbeam is just as fixed and ordered as the stars in the heavens above. Every snowflake in an avalanche, the creeping of the aphid is just as much determined as, I mean, he just goes through this long statement, but uh, of God's direct involvement in all of created order. Yeah, and I think when I, when I go through the sovereignty and start looking at the sovereignty of the Lord, man, it just becomes uh, massively clear of the abyss between, uh, you know, not that it isn't already, but between myself and uh, the Lord, just how great he is. And, uh, um, you know, when you quoted out of Job this morning, it just, yeah, the Lord provides uh, the prey for the lion. Uh, just, well, I've just never think. watched the Animal Channel 
Animal Planet different. I mean, I've never watched it the same since. Like, and this is the point I want to make. The temptation for us is okay. So Deus believe in a creator God who then stands for he made it back. He made a really complicated clock, and now the clock runs. And the, the error for Christians is to take that model and just say that's what happens, except the few times that miracles happen, and then God intervenes. But the rest of the time, the clock's running, and God's just standing back, letting the clock run. And that is not the biblical account. The biblical account is. God is there, imminent. He's at work in this room. He is leading the stars out. He's sending the, like, okay, here's a question. Why did the thunder clouds thunder the last time we had a storm? Was it because there was a low pressure field brought about by hot air and electrostatic from the earth? Or was it because God told them to go and they went? And my answer is going to be yes. If we take them, now, Whatever the Bible's trying to communicate, and if you want to argue that's a metaphor, or it's an anthropomorphism, okay, what's the metaphor meaning to communicate? It's meaning to communicate a God who's up close and personal and involved, not a God who's standing back with his arms folded watching the machine run. So even if you want to take, do you hunt the prey for the lion, as he's not really saying he's hunting, it's a picture of being really close up. That's my point. Um, and so God would have us understand he is directly involved in the running of this world, directly involved, um, not sitting far back with his arms folded watching the clock run, but directly involved. And in that, we see his faithfulness, you know. Um, I'm not even sure I believe in laws. Of, okay, that's a whole other topic, laws of nature. But um, all, all laws of nature are observing repeatable patterns. A law is just what we see happen. So gravity is like, what's gravity? Jesus holding things down. I mean, that it may sound like a simplistic answer, but I challenge you for a better one. Um, like, it's the force. Where'd the force come from? You observe the force. What's the origin of this force? Let me theorize, well, maybe larger objects have... Okay, cool. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's God holding all things together by the power of his word. Um, so God, God is directly and imminently involved in all sorts of things. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, I challenge you to believe in a God. I mean, what's the, what's the proverb? The lot is cast in the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord. Um, that's Proverbs, lot, lap. 16.33. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I take that to mean what it says, which means the roll of every dice and every craps table in Las Vegas comes up nothing but what the Lord determines it'll come up. Like, that's the world I believe I live in. Um, and so God is at work all around. Um, he's, he's active in the world around me. So. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions or thoughts from some? Yes. Oh, no, microphone. The eight people listening to this. Mark's one of those eight people. Mark can tell you he's one of the people who make them talk into the microphone. Okay. It's really neat when you're out in the fields with God to praise him with the people that you're with. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that eagle and all that you made it to do and the beauty of the fields right now. 
it just helps your appreciation of all that he's done. And it's nice to do that whenever you have an opportunity. We live in a land of wonders all around us. And we just kind of think of it in those scientific cold ways. Yeah. And he is up close and personal. Like that, that, that second half of that verse, when it's, um, you feed the ravens and they cry to God for their food. So I just, I just, my mom has a lift outside of her deck and a bird's nest got stuck in it. And so I knocked it out, not seeing there were three little baby birds in it. And so I came by the next day and two of them had died and one of them was just, just pitifully bleeding. And there's nothing I could do for it. It was, I, I ended up putting him out of his misery, but that bird, according to Job, was crying out to God. <laughs> like, that's the world I live in. And, and we think of that like, no, like, the animals aren't alienated from their creator. Why not? Um, again, the, again, the Bible, you, you stretch out your hand, you satisfy them, you withdraw your spirit, they perish. I mean, this, this is the world the Bible says we live in, is, is a world where only man is alienated from his crea- creator. Um, so it was uh, just, yeah, you, you go out just for a walk and, or the stars, Joe, and again in Job, do you call out the constellations? Do you lead them out by name? And by n- yeah. God takes credit for things at the end of Job. You want, to, you want to be blown away, go read the last three or four chapters of Job and pause on some of these things that God takes credit for um, and, and just marvel at the world we live in. Um, it's, it's amazing. Okay, any other, uh, but your point about just create, I mean, even as an unbeliever, Starry Nights refused, I couldn't be an atheist because of Starry Nights. I just would just marvel at the uh, stars and just, yeah, somebody made that. Um, there's no way. Okay, other, oh. And then on the other side too, you know, God being in charge of people who are choosing to go their own way and causing havoc and and all of that too on the negative side yes god has his hand in that and you know there's of course man's doing his own thing too but it doesn't it's not like this is not god what god willed right 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 but even in this strophe, we see that. We see the broad declaration. He's considering all of creation. You, you made the earth. It, it stands firm, right? So verse, uh, verse 90 and 91. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth. It stands fast. By your appointment, they stand fast. For all things are your servants. Well, what about these wicked people that are plotting for him that he wants help from? And so there's a sense. And, and, and for all these things, the balancing act is to hold on to both truths and not let the one cancel the other out. So uh, sometimes people, for wanting to maintain, you know, people really do evil, and the people that do evil, they're really doing it, and it really is blameworthy and, and worthy of condemnation, can sever the notion of God's universe where he's upholding and working in all things. And I suppose if you emphasize God's sovereignty too much, you could end up with robots, although I hear people talk about that. I've never actually met the person who believes in robot theology. Um, the, the universe we live in is both all things that move, live, and have their being in God. God is at work in and through all things. God is ultimately accomplishing his purpose through all things. And yet we can cry out to him against evil. 
and we know God hates evil, and that's the the world we live in. And I know that's confusing, or it can be tr- troublesome to wrap our heads around. But the best example that I can see, go to Acts, um, six, five. Hold on. Um, it's when the early, it's the first persecution breaks out. Their prayer. Hold on. Um, yeah, verse four, chapter four, Acts four. This is amazing. Um, so Peter and John are taken for the council and they're beaten. Um, and then in verse 23 of chapter 4 in Acts, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Psalm 2, Why do the nations, Gentiles, rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they cite Psalm 2, and then they give an ex- as an example of this type of plotting against the Lord, rebelling against the Lord, what just happened. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. But clearly, they're viewing these people as bad guys, people resisting God, people fighting God. And they're able in one breath to say, why do the nations rage? Why do they plot against the Lord? And they've done nothing but what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The challenge for us is maintaining both. So in Psalm 119, all things are your servants. Lord, the wicked are waiting, lying, wait to destroy me. That's, that's the challenge, is to, to be able to see the, both realities as true. Um, absolutely, we make choices that have moral significance, either for praise or condemnation. When evil people do evil, they're doing the evil. They deserve condemnation for it. Um, When we choose to do what is good, we're doing what is good. In some sense, it's pleasing to God that we do that. And yet, God's at work. Um, so, So, yes. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but that's okay. Any other thoughts on that? Yes, sir. So I don't know the address in the Bible, but I just remember a place where God explained that he was using um, one of the tribes to use that particular country or tribe to to discipline the Israelites. Habakkuk. You're, you're referencing Habakkuk. Good. Let's go to Habakkuk. Sure. Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you my, my 20-second summary of Habakkuk. Because it comes in rounds. Habakkuk makes a complaint to God. God responds. So Habakkuk says, Lord, have you seen how faithless and wicked Israel is? What are you going to do something about it? which the Lord responds, oh, I've seen it, and I'm raising up an even more wicked nation, Babylon, to punish them. Habakkuk, far be it from you, Lord, to use a wicked people. Lord, don't worry. After 
Babylon has been raised up to punish Israel. I will punish them for daring to touch Israel. Habakkuk. I put my hand over my mouth. These things are too great for me. And that, that's my summary of Habakkuk. Um, let's, let's, uh, where is it? Let me get there. I should do less talking and more looking for Habakkuk. Um, it's only three chapters long. It's, it's totally worth reading sometime. Um, Nahum Habakkuk. There we go. So yeah, in chapter 1, verses uh, 2 to 4, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear, or cry for violence? Do you not see? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? So the first thing is like, Lord, wake up, they're doing evil. But then the Lord's respond is, oh yeah, no, I'm aware of it. And I got something coming. Um, look among the nations, see, verse 5, wonder and astound, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize the dwelling not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their injustice and their justice and dignity go forth from them. Their horses are swifter than leopards. And he just goes basically. Um, so then in verse 12, Habakkuk has something to say to that. Are you not from everlasting to everlasting? My, o Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look on wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows us up? How can you use a wicked, a more wicked people to punish us? You can't do that. You're too holy and pure for that. To which God responds, oh, don't worry, I'm, I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whoop up on them for daring to... <laughs> no, that's, that's the answer. And you just go, okay. Um, um, and then the end of the book is look at look at chapter three. This is his song at the end. I, I love this. Um, Habakkuk is blown away by this. Uh, prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the earth. The earth is full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. And he goes on. But verses 17, 18, and 19, which again gets back to what I was trying to say this morning with Peter's, Lord, where should we go? I don't understand, but I'm not going anywhere. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The choir master, the stringed instruments. Yeah, back it doesn't figure this all out. And he's just like, I, I don't, yeah. I'm going to trust God. And that's a great place to be. It's like, I mean, oh, I'm really thankful for, for Peter. Like, I don't have a sausage of an idea of what this eat your flesh, drink your blood means, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for the I believe, help my unbelief man. I'm thankful for all these categories of I haven't got it figured out, but I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Um, and that's kind of where Habakkuk's at. Like, okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts, questions on this? On Psalm 19. 
Okay, we can open up the James and the tongue. Any thoughts on that? Or are you guys just bent on getting out early today? Yes, Liz. I have a question concerning the thing. Okay, microphone. Okay, to bring that up. Um, so a couple weeks ago in uh, our Bible study fellowship group, Romans 13 was brought up. Yeah. It's kind of similar, I guess, to what we were talking about, how the Lord ordains everything. But um, we, we were talking the context of, let's say, um, the government <clears throat> mandates masks again. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, or, you know, whatever, and business shut down and all that stuff. Basically, uh, one, of, one of the people is basically saying, Romans 13, you know, you obey authority without question without anything you do it and you move along in obedience to christ and there were other people who did not agree with that so is it is it just based on your convictions you know no what how how in the world convictions it's gonna be everyone's gonna do it right in the sight of their own eyes um let me try to make some progress there let's go to romans 13 okay this will easily take up most of our time that's fine. I'll take a stab at this. Why not? Why not? Let's give it a shot. A couple caveats. Um, what, one of the things that does allow for some flex here is our, our system of government allows for an appeal to judges. If you think a, a law is unlawful, if you think an ordinance is uh, unsound or contradicts something else, you can appeal to a judge. And while that appeal process is taking place, I think there can be some, some uh, flex. So John MacArthur and Grace Community Church ultimately won their lawsuit against L.A. County. And during the appeals process, they were disregarding L.A. County's laws. I'm not going to say that's wrong. If there's a sense in which while it's contested, I think there can be some variety of opinions. And other churches appealed as well, but didn't meet while they're appealing. I'm not saying they were wrong either. So if your notion is, hey, I don't think this is a, a, a sound law. I'm going to be, give some freedom of room on what you do while the contested law is up for dispute. So that, that'd be my first caveat. Um, but my next caveat that I don't think works, I've heard people talk to me and, and they say, our obligation is to obey the Constitution. The problem I have with that argument is it's always people and not documents we're told to obey. And if that logic held, I would think then this argument would also hold. I don't obey Caesar. The Caesars are usurped. I mean, how did Julius Caesar take power? Through a legitimate process? No. But why, if, if the notion is you, 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 you hold to the foundation, then why wouldn't it be valid to say, I don't recognize Caesar. I recognize the Roman Senate, not the usurper, not the authoritarian fascist who only took power because he had an army. Now, at a certain point, Caesar became accepted. This is the way it's done, and the Senate stopped contesting it. And again, it, 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 uh, it, there's a gray area while it's being contested, like during wars. I mean, so let, me, let me give you an example. Um, my mom doesn't like this example, but she's not listening because she's in Jake's class. So anyway, um, during the Blitzkrieg, you're in Poland, and the, the German army has just come in, right? You're a Christian. What do you conclude? Do you conclude God has given my people into the hands of their adversaries, just as God gave Israel into the hands of Babylon? 
and we should honor these new authorities, be the best citizens we can, not obey them and do, to do evil, but try to work quietly with our hands and, and just God's judged us and he's given us over to them. And just as, just as uh, Jeremiah told Israel, stop resisting Nebuchadnezzar. God's giving you to his hand. We should stop resisting them and just try to be faithful. Or should you say, no, I'm working with the underground Polish government. Well, there, I'm, I'm saying there's probably a period of time where Christians could have in conscience done both. It's undecided. Has the Reich really taken over Poland, or is it a temporary victory and setback? While there's a dispute about who the authority is, I think there's some gray room. At a certain point, when countries take over other countries, that dispute stops being disputed. At a certain point, Caesar is Caesar. It's accepted. It's the way it is. And at that point, you need to obey Caesar. So I will grant there are some, that's why I'm getting back to the gray areas of like, we're challenging this law, right? Um, so if someone's saying a mask law is unconstitutional and they want to challenge that, I think there could be some gray area of, okay, what do you do while it's being challenged? Now, if you've got something that is unquestionably law, this, the Supreme Court, whatever, has ruled on it, I'm only aware of we need to obey God, not man, as a grounds for why we can righteously not obey. Um, so if you go back to Acts, keep your thumb in Romans 13, we'll get there. If you go back to Acts, we have our example of civil disobedience, Acts 4. Um, in Acts 4, right before we just read about sovereign Lord. Um, so you guys get my example about Poland. I could picture two different Christians responding totally differently. One's like, I'm working with the Polish underground. Another one's like, God gave us into the hands of these godless people. We've been judged. And I think both could act in faith. And I wouldn't condemn either one. Now, if the guy working with the underground is still there 50 years later, like, dude, you need to just submit to Caesar. Stop it, you know? Um, but there's probably a period of time where it's questionable who is the authority in charge, who is Caesar, who, is, who rules. And while that's up for debate, I think there could be some flex. So in, in Acts 4, they are told to stop the hate speech and to stop preaching in the name of Christ. Um, so verse 18, they were called and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak on what we have seen and heard. So here's our example of civil disobedience if god tells you to do thing a and caesar says don't do thing a you obey god no question no question if it becomes illegal to preach the gospel you preach the gospel anyway um so government cannot command us to sin and and we must not obey government when they command us to sin um and i want to say there's a caveat for when you want to challenge what government's doing the other thing that's difficult is is there's a whole other issue of which authority am I directly accountable to, the federal government or the local government? So, like, Colorado has legalized marijuana. The federal government still has marijuana as an illegal, illicit substance. Who do I listen to? First, if my authorities conflict, what's the chain of command that God wants me to listen to? If my mayor is in conflict with my governor, who's in conflict with the president, which one of them am I to obey? So there's, there are some complications in our system. Uh, I tend to think lesser magistrates. I tend to think 
I'm responsible for the person right in my face above me. Um, which means when it comes to traffic laws, I'm accountable to that police officer. He's, he's the person I deal with, you know. Um, but different Christians have differing. So I'm, what I'm trying to show is there are plenty of areas where different Christians differ on. Um, my objection to the, my, 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 my uh, allegiance to the Constitution is we stopped playing by the constitutional order so long ago. It's no longer in dispute. I'd say back at the Civil War, but even if, if you don't go as far back as that, it, FDR, um, certainly. Uh, I mean, that you can have the 14th Amendment, powers not explicitly delegated to the federal government are the rights of the states, and then have a federal department of education. Exactly where was that dele- I mean, we stopped playing by the Constitution, by the rules as written a long time ago. We've been playing by a modified rule set. And that's the way it is now. I, I tend to think just as Caesar somehow took over and that's the way it is, we stopped playing by the rules as written a while back. So I, 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 would, I would challenge anyone on, on that basis. Um, like, you should be up in arms about the Federal Department of Education, or the federal government's involvement with hospitals and medicine, or any other of the things the Constitution does not explicitly give it prerogative for. Um, that's all equally unconstitutional. And we, we've been doing that for a long time. So back to mass mandates. But if, so here, let me say it this way. If, if it were not challenged on its legality, if, if a high court ruled, if the Supreme Court ruled that states had the right to mandate masks in public areas, things like that, I would think you're not being told to sin. I would think it would be best to, to submit to the government. Now, the real challenge is all of the appeals we can make in the meantime. Um, but no, if, if we had a king and our king told us to wear masks, I would say we should wear a mask. I mean, there's no question. When, when Paul's, so let's go to Romans 13. Nero is in charge of the Roman Empire when Paul writes Romans 13. He's not a good guy. Nero liked to take Christians, dip them in wax, and light them on fire as candles. To, to, he fancied himself a chariot racer, and he would light his Colosseum with burning Christians who he'd made into basically human candles. He liked to dress them up in animals' clothes, smear blood on them, and feed them to lions. I mean, he was a nasty guy. And Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And you got to first and foremost plug this into near. Now, the, the, when I, I need to have a good discussion because I know there are some people who don't think this means at all what I'm saying it means, um, who try to t- turn this into rather, this is a definition of what government's supposed to do, as if this is written to Nero and not the church under Nero. And so I, I'm open to talking to somebody who comes from that perspective. I've, I don't know how that argument's made. Perhaps there's some cogency to it. But therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you receive his approval. Well, Nero was a terror to good conduct. And I think, I think the point here is, in general, governments go after murderers and thieves and people like that. And if you're being a good citizen, in general, you don't have to be too worried about the government. Certainly there are exceptions. But in general, 
a Christian ethic of submission and a work ethic and helping his community should be something wanted by government. Um, for he is God's servant for your good. If you do what is wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be sub in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. So I've heard some people try to argue, well, I, I can't pay taxes because taxes go to support abortions. Dude, Roman taxes were supporting slavery, oppression. Like, I, I think you're let off the hook with what Caesar does with your tax money. I don't think you're morally culpable for what Caesar does with your tax money. Jesus paid taxes. Remember that fish? Yeah. Jesus paid taxes to Rome. So you can be righteous and pay your taxes. Um, pay what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So in our country, we have an avenue to appeal what we think are unjust or unrighteous laws. And I don't think, I don't think, I think you can give honor and respect to Caesar even while appealing. I don't, I don't think this ruling, I'd like a judge to rule on this. I'd like a judgment and a verdict because I don't think this law is right. You can do that in a way that is um, honoring and submissive, and you can do that in a way that's like, you know, mess with the bull, you get the horns, don't tread on me, that doesn't. Um, and so I'm all in favor. If you think one, either it's one magistrate, one governor is opposing another or if you think the whole thing's unjust, by all means, if you got an avenue of appeal, make it, certainly. Paul appeals to Caesar, so there's nothing wrong in appealing, in, in appellation. Um, how you do it matters. You see Paul do nothing but deal with Felix and Festus with respect, even as he's making his appeal to Caesar. Uh, so my, my concern is a lot of times I see with Christians is the second we think it's okay to appeal or it's unjust, all the obligations to honor, respect, fly out the window, and now, like, we can mock them. No. You're going to appeal? Great. Go for it. Do it with respect. Do it with reverence. Do it, do it like a child should disagree with their parents. You know, do it like that. Step on anyone's toes. Anyone want to disagree with me on this or push back? That's fine. Anybody? Anybody? You really? There, yeah, yeah, yeah. but don't agree with it or disagree with anybody. All right, all right. Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me is the attitude of all. We have unprecedented ability to appeal, right? Um, I mean, we do have some examples in the Bible with that. We have the, the widow who's appealing to the judge for justice. I mean, so different civilizations have had avenues of appeal, but we have an unprecedented amount of liberty in that. And you can appeal to a higher court. You can appeal to a higher court. You can keep appealing. Go for it and utilize all of that. If you think Norwalk, I just read it, if I'm not mistaken, Norwalk's instituting a mask mandate in all government buildings starting August 23rd. If you think that's a bad law and you want to appeal it, God bless you. Go do that, right? While you're doing it, do it respectfully. Do it with honor. Do it um, as, as, as we're told to here. My concern with people is the second they think, I think this is a bad law. Now I'm going to be outraged, and I'm going to let you know what a jack, I can't, my wife tells me jackass is a bad, okay. I, I'm going to tell you what a stupid person you are for making this stupid law, and what I think, like, dude, like, 
appeal it, make it clear you don't agree with it, do it with reverence and respect. They're God's servant. You don't want to make God your enemy, do you? Um, I don't. Okay, Liz, thank you for giving us something to talk about all the way home. Um, God bless. Godspeed. Goodbye.